We are beginning Daf Tes Amar Aleph 9A1 in the article Gemara. In fact, there's one line on the bottom of 8B4 in the article Gemara. We have just three words. Um, but just uh, first a brief introduction. Daf Tes page 9 discusses a new topic. It discusses a topic based off of the original Mishnah. We started this ent- entire tractate, Meseches Ksubis. Uh, with a Mishnah which said that a, a couple should get married on a Wednesday in case the husband finds out that uh, she was not a virgin either because he didn't find any blood from the hymen or we will see some other claim uh, momentarily. And then we want him to go to the court the very next day before he um, he calms down. Why do we want him to go to court? Uh, because we are concerned that maybe, because in the times of the Talmud, of the Gemara, there would be a year gap between the halachic engagement and the halachic marriage. We are concerned that she had committed adultery during that time period. If she committed adultery, so then they can no longer uh, stay married. They can't live with each other, they can no longer stay married. So our Gemara is going to begin a discussion of uh, now, what happens if he makes such a claim? Let's say he makes such a claim. We will see the, the claim that he makes now is not that uh, he didn't see blood, but the claim is that he, when he had sexual relations, um, he felt that there was no hymen there, that uh, there was an opening, and there was no hymen there. Um, and let's say it's a situation where uh, she doesn't have it. There's different situations where, let's say, they lost the cloth to figure out, or the you know the cloth, or the sheet to figure out whether or not there was blood present. Uh, but he makes this other claim, another claim that says that he did not feel uh, the hymen present, and he is uh, fairly certain about it. So the question is, what happens in such a scenario? Are they allowed to stay married together? Are they not allowed to stay married together? So in general, uh, there is a principle that in order to uh, make a claim. You have to have backing. You have to have some sort of proof. Uh, the highest form of proof is two witnesses. We clearly don't have two witnesses in this case. In fact, we have no proof whatsoever. Uh, right? There's uh, you could follow in certain situations. You could follow majority, uh, but we don't have. We don't really have anything to go by. This is purely based on his his claim and his claim alone. And so he's going to make this claim. So, do we believe him? Now, why should we believe him? It's just him alone. So that is a great question. And the basis for his belief is really based on a principle called Shavya Nafshei Chaticha Isura, which is basically the idea that objectively we don't believe him. In order to believe him, we need proof. We don't have proof. But if he makes the claim that says that he wants to make such a claim, that says that he's concerned that his wife committed adultery, and that he knows, let's say, we will see that uh, maybe he knows that his wife uh, committed adultery, or at least he knows that his wife had sexual relations before the completion of their marriage. Um, so then based on his word and his word alone, so then that will, we will tell him that based on your word, based on your understanding of the situation, you have just now created a situation where you're not allowed to stay married to your uh, to your wife, to your spouse. Um, you have done this to yourself. Now, what is this based off? It could be just the idea that um, he's believed for himself. He cannot believe for other people, but he is believed for himself. If he makes such a claim, and he really believes his claim, so it cannot, 
impact other people. It cannot hurt other people, but he has to live by his word. He has to live by his word. And since his word results in the fact that they cannot stay married, so then he has to live by it. Or perhaps it could be similar to a different idea. Maybe it's parallel to a different idea. Let's say a person makes the following claim. It says, I owe somebody else a $100. There are no witnesses. There are no witnesses uh, uh, to, to, to the loan. But he says, I owe somebody $100. So we say, you have to pay that $100, even though there are no witnesses, because uh, he's basically being mechaev himself. He is obligating himself to give those $100. It's not necessarily that we trust him, but it's more the fact that he's obligating himself based on his own word. So that is the concern here. Now, I will point out, we were we will go through this uh, page, daf test, this daf, on a very simplistic level. There is much analysis. This is viewed as one of the uh, biggest pages in terms of going in, into the page in depth because there's so much to consider. There's so many factors. Uh, when one one makes these various claims, there's also the concept of chazaka, of underlying assumptions based on what we've understood until now, meaning uh, until now she was viewed as somebody who was allowed to stay married to her husband. So maybe that shouldn't change. We should follow um, what we've understood until now in, in, in this situation of doubt. Essentially, we're dealing with here with a situation of doubt. We don't know. Objectively, we don't know. We're completely relying on him. Um, there's also other questions to ask. What about, what is she claiming? Is she claiming anything? Is she remaining silent? The Gemara will not discuss what her side of the story is, which may be a major factor. Uh, if she claims that that it's not true, none of this is true, so maybe we should believe her. And in fact, some of the uh, some of the commentators point out that we're only discussing a situation where she remains silent. Uh, but if she actually uh, counters and makes the claim that it's not true, so then we would believe her. That's how some of the commentators understand this Gemara. So there are many things to consider here, many um, halachic principles that we have to keep in mind, uh, but we won't have time to go through all of it. This is really a, a very heavy uh, daf, a heavy page, a lot is, is in this. Uh, one other, before we before we read the Gemara inside, one other halachic principle that's very important is the concept of svek sveka. Svek sveka is the concept that it doesn't mean that it's a statistical majority. That's referred to as a rove. Statistical majority is a halachic tool that we use uh, to help us uh, figure out various situations in, in cases of doubt. Uh, this is basically, svek sveka is the idea that if we had to play out the different scenarios that could come up, so then three out of four scenarios lead to one halachic outcome. That The last scenario leads to a different halachic outcome. So because we have three out of the four, let's say, we have two, uh, we have, we basically three out of the four scenarios will lead to one halachic outcome, so then perhaps we'll say that that is uh, a principle that tells us that, you know what, Three out of four, even if it's not necessarily statistically likely that it will lead, we, we have no idea whether the outcome uh, statistically will lead to the three versus that last fourth. Uh, but because if we just look at it as three out of four, we basically say that, you know what, um, maybe this isn't the question here. Maybe uh, just, uh, maybe there, 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 there's no uh, initial question here because there's such a great chance that it will end up in one way over the other way, not in terms of statistics, but in terms of just um, possibilities. 
In terms of possibilities, there's such a great chance that it'll lead in one direction, we just will assume that it's that one direction. We'll, we'll, we'll explain exactly what I'm referring to in a minute as we, uh, to give a practical example, as we go through the Gemara. Okay, so says the Gemara, Amr Abelazar, again on page 9A1 of the article. Rabelazar says, Ha'omer Pesach Masuch Matzasi Neman Loserlov. A man who says that uh, he, when he, they had sexual relations for the first time, he was married Wednesday night, he comes to court Thursday, Thursday morning, um, and he says that he uh, found that there was no hymen there, that he went uh, straight through. And so he's believed, not objectively, but just for himself to to forbid, she's now forbidden to, to uh, they're forbidden to stay married because according to his claim, they're no longer allowed to stay married. Why? So why is not so simple also. The Gemara is about to ask, why is this so? But as of now, before we get to the next question, is that the assumption is that we have to be concerned at least that she committed adultery between that year, between the engagement and the marriage. The Gemara says, why are we concerned? Vamai. Svek Svekahu. This is a double doubt. What we just mentioned before, the concept of Svek Sveka, it's a double doubt. Why? Savik Tachtov, Savik Ain Tachtov. Why should we assume that she committed adultery? Maybe she had sexual relations before before the engagement. Maybe, even if you want to tell me that she had sexual relations during the engagement, maybe it was under duress, maybe it was a rape. Just because uh, she's no longer a virgin doesn't mean that she she committed adultery. We, we can't uh, draw such a conclusion. Um, why why should we why should we why should we make such an assumption? We have. Uh, many reasons to assume. If you take all the different possibilities, the only way that it's forbidden that they cannot stay married is if she if she had sexual relations during that year and it was uh, by consent. But with all the other factors, if she was raped, if it was prior to uh, to the engagement, so then they're allowed to stay married. So why are we drawing this conclusion that they're not allowed to stay married? We have many reasons to assume why they could stay married. It's a double doubt. First of all. It might have happened before they were married. And even if it happened while they were married, it could have been under duress. So the Gemara says, you know what? There are two situations where we will say that it is no longer a sexika. It's no longer a double doubt. It's just a single doubt. And when there's a single doubt, we have a principle called Suffolk Daraisa Lachumra. That when there's a questionable situation, so then we, we are stringent in, in terms of matters that are biblical issues. Biblical law, when we are in doubt, so then we, we try to be stringent. So what are those cases? Case number one is when it's the wife of a Kohen. Why is the wife of a Kohen different? Because when it comes to the wife of a Kohen, it's not just about committing adultery, but it's also any time that she has sexual relations, even um, under duress. She's not allowed to stay married to her husband who is a Kohen. It's a separate ruling when it comes to a Kohen, something which is unique to a Kohen. And then it's just one question. It's one question of, did she have sexual relations before the marriage or during, or during the, meaning before the engagement or during the engagement? Because if it was during the engagement, even if it was under duress, they're not allowed to stay married. That's the rule. That's the rule for the, for a marriage of a Kohen. They have, they have a, it's not just about, uh, committing adultery willingly, but if, even if she was raped, so then they're not allowed to stay married. Again, only if it happened during the engagement or during the marriage. So it's still questionable, but because it's questionable, we will be stringent. The is Ema, alternatively in other cases, Be'eshis Yisrael, Ukagon de Kabel, I'm now turning to 9A2, Ukagon de Kabel Ba'avua Kiddushin Bechusim Be'ashlo Shalom Yom Echa, the cases where uh, we mentioned in the past that the uh, the father could accept the marriage for his daughter who is a minor, who is under the age of 12, 
And so let's say the father accepted the engagement when she was uh, under the age of three. Um, and so therefore it must be halachically that she had sexual relations during the engagement, right? It happened during the engagement because she got engaged by her father at the under the age of three. Again, we pointed this out in the past. We do not do this today. We don't. We we frown down upon this uh, today. But it was uh, it, technically it's a halachic uh, possibility where the father uh, is acts as the uh, on behalf of his daughter who's under the age of three to have her engaged. So then it's also again in that case also there's just one scenario. Where we are asking this question, meaning we're not sure if when she had sexual relations, was that under duress? Was that a rape? Or was that with consent? If it was with consent, then they can't stay married. If it was under duress, so then they could stay married because we're not talking about a Cohen in this case. So these are the two scenarios where he comes along, the husband comes along and says, I know that she's not a virgin. So what? What does that tell us about who had that prove to us anything about adultery? It doesn't. But we have two cases where there's only one question at hand. If it's with the wife of a Cohen, the question is whether it was during the marriage or before the marriage. And when it's a situation where uh, she was engaged as a minor, so then everything happened during the marriage, the question is, was this under duress or was it done willingly? That's all one question, which we don't have answered. But because this has biblical ramifications, this is on a derisa by the Torah. The Torah would tell us that if we knew that she committed adultery, so then they would have to get divorced. So because it's a questionable scenario, we don't know. So therefore, we will be stringent and say that they would have to get divorced. Now again, it's important to point out, this is, we're just touching the surface here. There are many, the, many of the commentators ask, hold on a second, why should we be so stringent? We have various reasons to say and to assume that really this did not happen in the context of marriage. Uh, or, this, uh, or really we have reasons to assume that she was raped and it wasn't done under consent. That we have the principle of chazaka. The principle of chazaka is that uh, what we understood in situations of doubt, our status quo was that they were allowed to stay married, so maybe that should continue. So there are many discussions and many questions on what we just said. So we don't have time to get into it, but these are these are big discussions. In the end of the day, in the end of the day, he is believed in those two scenarios, limited to those two scenarios, he is believed to say that he basically could obligate himself to get divorced. Because, you know, he, he, he said that for himself that he's concerned that she committed adultery because he didn't feel the hymen. He was able to go right through. And so therefore, um, he, is, uh, he would have to, based on what he said for himself, he would have to get divorced. So the Gemara says, this principle of Shabbat Nafshei Chatihi Surah that a person could, uh, has, has to live by his word, his or her word, we find this elsewhere. What's the, what's this coming to teach us? My Kamash Malan. We're in the first column here in 982. Tanina. We have the following Mishnah. We already have this principle. A person comes to court and he says, I got engaged to such and such a person. To Rivka, I got engaged to her. And she says, what are you talking about? This never happened. So now he is not allowed to marry any of her immediate family. It's not allowed because once you get once you're halakhically engaged, you cannot marry her mother, her sister, her daughter. It's not allowed, uh, and because he said so, and he and there's no witnesses, so then he has to live by his word. He cannot marry any of her relatives. But she, she says, "What are you talking about? It never happened. There are no witnesses." She is allowed to marry his relatives uh, because 
he's not believed objectively, he's believed vis-a-vis himself. So we already have such a principle. What is Rebbe Lezer coming to teach us? So the Gemara says an interesting idea. It says, You might have thought that it's only in a scenario where he would know for sure. He knows whether or not he got engaged. Right? He knows about that. There's a certain level of certainty. But in this case, does he really know whether or not there's a hymen there? Does he really know? Uh, it's, it, it's hard. It's, you, have to, you have to be an expert, says the Gemara. And even so, it's hard to, hard to know. And yet, at the same, will still, will we still say that he's believed vis-a-vis his own word? He doesn't even know whether his own word is accurate. And so that's what Rebel Ezra is coming to teach us, that even so, either he's coming to teach us that it is accurate, that he does know what he's talking about, or even if he doesn't know what he's talking about, because he's making the claim, and he thinks he knows what he's talking about, so therefore he has to continue to live by his word, and in those two scenarios that we described before, he would have to actually um, uh, get divorced. Okay, let us continue a little bit in the Gemara. Uh, the Gemara asks as follows: Did Rabbi really uh, say this? Did Rabbi really say that we believe his word? Rabbi Lazar says elsewhere that a person is only prohibited to be uh, to, to is not allowed to stay married to his wife only in a very specific scenario where. There is a warning that his wife cannot um, cannot be secluded with somebody else, and we find that she is secluded. And it's it's based on the story of uh, David and Bathsheba. Now, the story of King David and Bathsheba, we don't have time to get into. Unfortunately, there's a lot to discuss here. We don't have time to get into it. Uh, but the story of King David and Bathsheba is that Bathsheba was married to somebody else, to Uriah. And when King David was King David, he had sexual relations with Bathsheba while Uriah was in the battlefield. Now, what does that have to do with what Reb Lezer says? The Gemara is about to ask. Moving on to 983, it says, This whole story of, of David and Bathsheba has really nothing to do with anything. Because first of all, that's not a scenario where there was warning and seclusion and very specific. Furthermore, um, Bathsheba was allowed to marry King David in the end. It's not a situation of where there's a prohibition, uh, but in fact, she was allowed to marry King David. Um, so what, what 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 does this have to do with anything? So the Gemara just explains what it's referring to. So the Gemara says, Hello, Essentially, the question is, we find elsewhere that Rabbi Lazar says there's only one way for us to say that they, they cannot remain married. Well, if you have witnesses, that's number one. But number two is that uh, the husband says, you're not allowed to be secluded with so-and-so, and then we find with through witnesses that, that she is secluded, then they, they have to, they, they're not allowed to uh, stay married. But he never says that if it's a situation where he makes a claim, and through his claim alone, that we apply the principle that he has to be, he has to keep to his word. We don't, we don't find that within Rebbe Lazar. So, so it seems to be a contradiction within Rebbe Lazar. Why did he mention the story about King David? Because that's actually a case between King David and Bathsheba, uh, between David and Melech and Bathsheba, that's a, actually a case where uh, there wasn't the situation of warning and seclusion, and that's why Bathsheba is actually uh, allowed to stay married. If Uriah would have stayed alive, she would have been able to stay married to Uriah, and also why uh, she's allowed to marry the uh, the one that she committed adultery with. In general, we say you're not allowed to marry the one that you committed adultery with afterwards, but here in this case you could because it didn't go through the normal channels of creating this prohibition. 
The normal channels are witnesses or through a warning and seclusion. But that ultimately we're left with the question, it seems to be a contradiction within Rebel Lazar. In one place he says he does have to, there's another scenario where he makes, the husband makes such a claim and he has to live by his word. Uh, and in our case that we just mentioned, he seems to say that you need to have a specific specific uh, situation where there's warning and seclusion. So the Gemara answers as follows. The Gemara asks, what are you talking about? Rebel Lazar, it doesn't limit it to just warning and um, seclusion. If you have witnesses, he would also agree. So, so what does he mean? Essentially, uh, Rabbi Lazar here is saying he's not limiting it only to that specific case of where there's a warning that you can't be with somebody and we find out that she's secluded with that person. It can't be limited to that case because we know that if there are witnesses, they also have to separate. They're not allowed to stay married. So it's, it's including other cases. So it's including also a case of witnesses. And when the husband makes the claim that his wife uh, does not, is not a virgin, and therefore we have to be concerned that her wife committed adultery during that time period, that year of engagement, so that's equivalent to two witnesses. Vis-a-vis himself and his own word, so that's like two witnesses. Okay, so the Gemara then asks, the Gemara now has a pretty strong question. The Gemara says, okay, what did we just say? We said according to Rabbi Lazar that there are various situations where the couple has to get divorced. They cannot stay married. One is where there are witnesses that there was adultery. Two is where there was warning that, you should, that, the, that the wife shouldn't be with somebody uh, secluded. And we find out that she was. There are witnesses that, that she was secluded. Number three is if the husband himself makes the claim that um, she wasn't a virgin and therefore there's concern that she committed adultery. So if all these are true, according to Rabbi why is it that if at the end of the day we know that they committed adultery, even if we don't have this specific procedure of a warning and seclusion, so then why in the end of the day was David, a whole totally separate question, why was David allowed to marry Bathsheba. In general, there's a principle that if a couple, if the wife commits adultery, so then she has to get divorced and she's not allowed to marry the person that she committed adultery with. I.e., in this case, it would seem to be David, King David. Because King David um, had sexual relations with her. So the Gemara will give two answers, two very interesting answers. Answer number one is, Hasam Ones Hava. Moving on to 984. Basically, the first answer is that this was under duress for, um, for Batsheva. Batsheva was forced into it. Um, and therefore, because she was forced into it, she's allowed to stay married to her husband. If Uriah, who was her husband, came back from war, Uriah was at war at the time in the battlefield as a soldier. Um, and so therefore, since she's allowed to remain married to her husband, she's also, after Uriah dies, is allowed to also marry um, King David, David Amalekh. Um It's important to point out, this is, uh, you have to analyze the story onto its own. We don't have time to get into the specifics of the story. Uh, but the Gemara elsewhere says that King David did not sin. Anybody who says King David sinned is making a, a very big mistake. King David did not sin uh, by this. Um, so you have to figure out exactly uh, what he did and why he did not commit a sin. Um, 
So that is answer number one. Answer number two. Again, we're asking the question of as long as adultery was committed, so then they shouldn't, she shouldn't be able to stay married to King David. The first answer was that it was done under duress, therefore she could remain married to her husband. Uriah died at war, so now she could marry, uh, King David, who was the one that she had, uh, sexual relations with. Ibai Sema, another answer is Kihadam Rabishmuel Barnachmine Am Rabionison. Rabionison says, moving on to 9b1. Call Hayote Lemelchemes Beis David. Get Krisis Kosev Lishto Dilsev Ves Achecha Tifkod Lishalom Ves Aruba Sam Tikach. My Ves Aruba Sam Tikach. Tani Raviose Dvarm Hamuravin Beino Levena. Essentially, what the Gemara says in answer number two is that people who would go to war, her husband went to war, Oria went to war as a soldier. Before they go to war, they write a divorce. Uh, the, uh, uh, they, they write, they get divorced from their wife. They write, uh, a document of divorce to their wives in case, uh, they either die at war. Or we don't, I'm not sure if they died at war. Um, and so therefore, because they're going out to war, we don't know what's going to end up happening. They make sure to get divorced before they go out to war. So she was not married at the time, according to this explanation. She wasn't even married. If she wasn't married, so it's not, a, it's not like she committed adultery. It's not true. She did not commit adultery because she was never married. Uh, not never, at that time, she wasn't married to Uriah. She was married beforehand. When Uriah went to war, they got divorced. That was the normal thing which occurred because we were concerned that, you know, what would happen if, um, they go out to war and then we don't know what ends up happening to them when they go out, when they go out to war. So they would get divorced beforehand. So King David had sexual relations with her, um, when, at, after she got divorced, when Uriah was at war. Okay, just to conclude, uh, this whole story of David, King David, and Bathsheba requires, again, requires much analysis. I will point out that some of the commentators say that, uh, they bring this up to say that uh, on their level, they committed a sin, but it's not the same type of sin that we could, that that, that would be equivalent to if we did the, the, the equivalent uh, action. It would, it's different. It's, it's, it's on their level, it was viewed as a sin. At the same time, uh, in Tanakh, in the Torah, and in the Prophets, we don't hide from uh, our leaders, like King David, having weaknesses and having their own faults, again, on their level. We don't hide from it. We have to learn from it that uh, there's human weakness that exists in the world, even amongst our leaders, on their level. Again, on their level, which is a different level than uh, the level that we are on. Okay? This concludes uh, the Gemara. At this stage, we will continue with the Gemara of Tess Ambez, 9b, in the Arsuka Gemara in the next recording.